Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. Uh, you are now listening to episode 176 of the show. My name is Evan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt. What's going on? An eventful weekend. If I had to rate it from 110, 1 being the worst, 10 being the best, I'd have to give it, like, a solid 2. Yeah, I, I mean... I think a lot, a lot of that has to go into the Super Bowl, obviously, outside of the show and what we talk about here, but... Yeah, the Eagles losing was pretty heart wrenching. Um, yeah, I mean the the latter part of that game in itself, just you could see the energy being slowly taken out of my body, and everybody around was just getting really frustrated in itself. And then it didn't help that prior to that, Chelsea had a a depre- another depressing draw against West Ham. Gonna have to speak to Cook about that, but yeah. Unfortunate stuff. Definitely not uh, our best weekend. The Eagles losing, and then Chelsea just taking a point, and Arsenal also taking a point. But uh, we will get to that one. I'm not sure I'm ready to accept just a point for that. Um, okay, I guess you know we won't dawdle on the Eagles too long. We'll we'll jump right into uh, the West Ham versus Chelsea game, and I'll hand it off to you. Uh. Do you want to do the two United Leeds oh, games did together? Have, we did have that. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'll take the first one. Then I'll take uh, Manchester United 2, Leeds United 2, and then we'll quick run over the next one. But, uh, man, this one, 2-2 at um, Old Trafford. Very, very quiet start for United. They did not look good, uh, certainly missing Casemiro. I don't think that's really surprising anybody. Uh, Leeds got off to a 1-0 start with Wilfred Nanto scoring in just the first minute. Rafael Varane made a mistake at the back. There was an own goal in the 48th, but then everybody showed up. Uh, it was Rashford, of course. Who else, who else but Marcus Rashford finishing in the 62nd. And then a surprise goal from Jaden Sancho, and I will say a good goal. That feels like his first goal in a year and a half. Uh, I know it's not. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Sancho guy, but a great goal, a very important goal. They take a point from this one. Uh, and United really didn't play bad. They just had, you know, uh, some mishaps in the first half. They let up that goal from Yanto. And a first-minute goal, it is what it is. It happens sometimes, you know, within the first five minutes, and you can just jump right back in and, and get things going. But it really didn't seem like that was going to be the case for United. They They had a lot of chances, but they weren't finishing. Uh, 24 shots, seven of those on target. They had a lot of the possession, but they just couldn't get them to fall. And then the the switch just kind of flipped uh, around the 60th minute, and it was United domination from there on out. Excuse me. Leeds, I think, did really well to just take a point from this one, especially when you think about the reverse fixture, which we just saw. Um, but even that one was one where United kind of had to win it late. So I don't know what you took from this one, but I was I was a bit surprised that that Leeds showed up so so strongly in the first half. Yeah, they kind of got a a bit of that new manager bounce. The interim squad of what what was left of Jesse Marsh's crew has been taken over for the meanwhile, and I think they may go with for the future due to the lack of suitors jumping up for the job at Leeds. It's not very enticing at the moment. And Jesse Marsh already potentially finding a new employer we'll get to later. But 
Yeah, in this game, I was I was surprised and a bit uh, excited about it because this is an old time rivalry game, and these two teams historically hate each other. And for Leeds to come out and show they can hang with the big boys, it shows that there's potential they can definitely get a bit of a run going to stay in the league. Um, it was nice to see McKinney start next to Adams in this game. Those guys were in these two games together. They they definitely have shown they don't take shit and they'll absolutely get stuck in a couple times. We saw with no Casemiro, you could tell there was a lot lost in the middle of the park for them. A bit of stability as well. Uh, Garnacho starting didn't make a major impact. He was getting pretty... He was getting handled very well by Ailing. Wasn't really getting by him much. Veghorst did what he could, and they still rely on Rashford a bit for these magical moments. Fernandez is that facilitator. He didn't have as much, as much uh, creativity on the ball without Erickson. A lot more burden on his shoulders. So they were fortunate to get a point to come back here and earn it to keep themselves in that top four uh, in a very, very cushioned spot. Uh, away from their competition and moving forward they got a big game now i think this week against barcelona before their next game yeah that's right uh crazy to think that that's not very far away uh okay we'll quick run through the reverse fixture as well we don't have to dwell on it too much that one ended two nil in favor of united with two late goals again uh, Leeds held the deadlock up until the 80th minute when who else? I feel like we say this every week, but Marcus Rashford scored. Alejandro Garnacho scored in the 85th. Beautiful Selly there at the end. Uh, Leeds looked a little bit more potent, I think, in front of the net in this one. Again, uh, just not really able to get them to fall when it mattered. Uh, six shots on target, 16 total shots, 11 shots for United, five shots on target. Um, almost the exact same possessions, uh, possession stats here, 67 as opposed to 66 in the reverse. It just goes to show that the system that Ten Hag has implemented is actually working. We saw Sancho get a start here. It is Weghorst that's starting there up top. He got an assist in this one. Then Fred and Sabitzer behind him. So two of the games uh, in Casemiro's three-game ban have now been served. We'll see him back, not in this next fixture, but one after that. And the change again, Dallow in now. So I would imagine we'll start to see Dallow more permanently now. Uh, ETH was pretty happy, I think, with Juan Bissaka ever since the World Cup ended. But uh, we're going to start to see some some movement in here uh, with Malasia and Dallow maybe taking some time on the bench. Still, I think a really good performance from United, and they're they're absolutely knocking on the door now uh, for the number one spot. They're just five points off Arsenal and two off second, where Manchester City currently sit. Yeah, since that that embarrassing loss to Man City with the double double hat trick for Holland and Foden, they've only lost two games in all competitions, and that was back in October. So. Ten Hogs proven he can do do it at the big leagues, like a lot of his guys in the past have. We've seen Arteta grow into his job. Obviously, Pep and Klopp had their times, or still are having their time. So we're seeing he can hang uh, with the squad he has. It's he's brought in his players this summer and then the winter. Who for those that came and they're fitting right in. He's he's established his culture and it's working well. I was I was a uh, a bit surprised. Well, not surprised, but. 
Leeds couldn't put up the same same type of effort they did in the first one. Get it was a bit of a a lucky a lucky thing in their favor that first minute goal in the previous match we talked about. So um, to go the whole first half without a goal kind of was a good thing to hold United there, but they kind of need a bit of a boost to get some to really have something to play for here. And they dealt with a few injuries from the previous matchup. We saw Strauch uh, playing at left back get absolutely hammered from a, uh, a shot from Rashford in the face. Yep. And, and then we also had, I believe, uh, Louis Sinister, who came back from a long-term injury, also picked up a bit of a hamstring injury in the first matchup we saw here. So they had fill-ins there. Somerville did all right. Furpo's always going to give you a solid yellow card if you bet that. <laughs> and Yeah, I mean, it, it was, wasn't too much. They didn't have really much off the bench. Aronson's had a hard time coming back from that gallbladder surgery i think he said so yeah. he's still trying to find fitness and or his some... appendix appendix uh, conte had the gallbladder okay yeah so yeah it's just coming back from a, a surgery like yeah. that is is not good any time away from the game hinders your your momentum in that and losing your manager at the same time too kind of changes how you're used so we'll see going forward at how it affects him and the other americans but and the squad in general because they're in a dire situation there uh, I think their next match is against uh, Everton. Yeah. yeah, so it's a it's a must another six pointer that they can't afford to drop. So yeah. Um, okay, now what we will do is get into West Ham and Chelsea. Uh, I will hand it off to you, and then we'll run through the fixtures. Yeah, so I guess just starting off for the whole weekend in general was a big. A big fat L for VAR. Yeah, multiple Fox games. Forever. Um, in this in this case, we saw it in the last the last minutes of the game. But starting from the top, when you look at the lineup, you saw the all the new shiny pieces being used from Potter. We saw Felix's return from suspension. Definitely was our man in the match. Mudiake got a start on the right. Mudrik on the left. Enzo linking up with Loftus Cheek. Uh, a utility player that's filled in very well wherever he's needed, and Havertz played better in this system with Felix rather than Mount. We saw Mount on the bench here, so and even with the guys coming off our bench, it's when you see these types of players coming off our bench, you would think we'd be a lot higher in the table, but that's just not the case right now. And I think we uh, were undefeated in our last four games, but three of those four are a draw, so it's it, we need to do better in that and uh we we got off to a good start the first 15 minutes we were all over west ham i think we scored three goals but two of them were ruled off sides and on the third attempt we saw a nice link up play enzo fernandez with a nice ball over the top felix with a simple tap in and they made it look so easy those guys link up well um hopefully we can if we can see a few more performances like this on this type of level from felix maybe it it Maybe worth trying to get him to come here on a permanent, yep. uh, because we know his his uh, relationship at Atletico isn't the best at the moment. So that might go in our favor there. Uh, unfortunate for West Ham. A few minutes prior to the goal, we saw uh, Lucas Paqueta pick up a bit of a, a shoulder injury. Uh, yep. Su- Suchek had to come in uh, and take his place, and we saw a bit of a difference in their play there. Uh, and then, what do you know? Emerson, former Chelsea player, gets his yeah. first ever Premier League goal against his former club. Showed a bit of respect after the celebration. A bit of a lack of a press uh, down down our left side. Ball whipped into the back post. Uh, actually flicked on from the front post from Bowen. 
uh, and Emerson squeaks in back there, Reese James and and uh, the back line in general just a bit out of sync. And uh, the second half, we we made our changes. We kept going and going, and it just wasn't meant to be. It's been the story of the year. And 88th minute, Connor Gallagher, ball gets crossed in, laid off to him, top of the box. Not the best of strikes, but it's it's go on target. Thomas Suchek lets his legs go, and not a conventional way to go down, and sticks his hand a bit out of normal position i think most people would consider uh and he saves it with his hand and it goes wide of the goal var looks at it and there's no penalty given which is absolute robbery um a few minutes prior to that there was a goal ruled off sides for west ham uh from thomas suchek on a on a free kick rebound goal so i don't know if that was a bit of a makeup call if anything you want to consider but yeah it feels like we got robbed here yeah, I I'd have to agree. I mean, that's Suchek like sliding handball nonsense. That's it's one of the worst calls I've ever seen. I mean, it was it was shocking. It was so clearly a handball and the intent was obviously there <laughs> like I don't know. His hands it's not like he's making an effort to keep his hands out of the play. Sometimes guys slide with their hands at their back. I know that's maybe not safe, but you see defenders do it all the time. And Chelsea got totally boned here. Uh, Havertz, like he was through so many times, but offside. Same thing with Felix, scored an offside goal. It was far off. Like Chelsea were a much better team here. Um, I think Fernandez continues to look really impressive in the two games we've seen him play. He's been amazing. Uh, Felix was definitely on on the pace on this one. He looked great, and then I think that Badia Shield guy cont- every single week, man. He he's very good. He is very very good. Uh, yeah. I know that they were you know out of sync on the Emerson goal, but that kind of shit happens sometimes. Badia Shield and Silva are a decent pairing, and you guys just locked up Silva uh, through the f- next summer, so that's good. Yeah. I think it's it's. Even more important that Batty Shield learns from a guy like Thiago Silva because he is just one of the greatest center backs we've ever seen, and that's definitely something. Uh, with all the influx of players that Chelsea are are dealing with currently, I think having a stalwart, a guy that's gonna be there day in and day out, is very important. So, uh, hats off to Chelsea in this one. They looked better this week, much much better this week than they did uh, against Fulham. I think. And I, I don't really think this is like saltiness. Uh, I'm kind of glad we didn't get Mudrick. I wasn't totally sold on him anyway. Uh, but he's looked pretty pedestrian, I would say, through the first three performances. So uh, I think what's that? I think I think some of that is due to the with Maybe. Cucurella's play. Oh, uh, he fucking stinks. He is uh, so bad, dude. Anytime he is looking to receive a ball, there's always a negative pass coming from him. Yeah. When you look down the right side with Reese James, he is very gung-ho he's wanting to get involved in the attack loftus cheek uh having a guy that guy on his side we've seen him fill back in our wing back fullback role at times so it gives him that that uh gives him that ability to go forward and be involved with mudieke down the right i think to have a solution there on the left to be versatile on both wings and not be just so go so heavy going down one end I think if Chilwell can get his fitness back and start on yeah. that left side, uh, that that little triangle there with with Chilwell, Fernandez, and Mudrik could be good. We still haven't seen the full potential of Mudrik. We know we're still in a situation where we're rotating guys in off the bench. So 
I don't think Mudrik's at that level where he can play a full 90. I don't think he's he's one of those guys that is there yet, like Felix is here and Havertz down the middle. So I think he we still need to see a few a better performances from him to earn that type of respect to play a full 90 minutes. So uh, I think that it kind of has to go with Chilwell if we can see him start a few games and see what that partnership is like between the two of them. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one. We had Fulham to Nottingham Forest. Nil. Uh, William, I don't. I'm not sure how. I'm. I'm re- truly not sure how he's able to put forth the performances that he's able to put forth. Pretty much everywhere he's been besides Arsenal, but he's yeah. 34 years old now, and he's still scoring bangers. He scored multiple goals this season where I'm like, holy shit! And then I have to remember the guy's 34 years old. He's playing for like his fifth club. Um, and he's still just scoring absolute screamers. He scored in the 17th, uh, just one of the most wonderful finishes, absolutely sent the defender the other way, then finished, just an absolute cracker. And then Manor Solomon in the 88th minute, I believe uh, he was a substitute, came on for Reed. Um, but yeah, this, this one went exactly how everybody thought it would. Uh, Matt and I, I think we, we both had Fulham, right? Yeah. Yeah, so in terms of statistics, 16 shots for Fulham, three of those shots on target. Possession was split 50-50. Nottingham Forest only able to register one shot on target in this one. We did see Chris Wood um, get the start here. He was up top with Gibbs White, Scarpa, and Johnson behind. Brandon Johnson, after I said maybe, you know, this guy's the truth, didn't see him uh, show up as as much as he has been uh, in the past couple of weeks, but... Yeah, a really, really good performance for Fulham. This is a really well, you know, earned three points, but certainly three points they needed as well. They've now got two wins in their last five. Uh, they had two losses and a draw. That draw coming against Chelsea, so it's good to get three points against the team that you know you should be able to get three points against. I, I don't think anybody was expecting uh, Bournemouth to show up and give them an absolute uh, fight for it. So I think a great three points. Um, or <clears throat> the boys at Craven Cottage. Yeah, they're back on track, definitely playing against a team well below their standard at this point, even though they were promoted with them. Uh, Mitrovic has been relatively quiet the last couple games. His goals uh, have been really been lacking. As of lately, Pereira gets an assist here on the second goal, I believe from uh, Manor Solomon, who battled a long-term injury at the beginning of the year. So uh, it's one of those normal performances that we, we definitely see coming um, on paper, and it keeps them on good track to compete for a European spot with all the other teams overachieving. And they played the most games around the that area of the table in seventh. Now that Liverpool will get to their game or making up some ground, uh, and Brentford and Brighton are right around them too. So it's going to be a tight finish, but I think wherever they end up, they'll be satisfied with. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's jump into the next one. Uh, Matt, you have Leicester City 4, Tottenham 1. <laughs> yeah, definitely a game that, or maybe not a game, but a result that we didn't see coming. Um, I definitely thought that Leicester could do something here. That's why I picked a draw. But, yeah, this completely blew out my sta- my expectations and yours as well. Um, 4-1's incredible here. Even after a, a rough start there with Bentecourt getting a goal, 
in the six, in the fourteenth minute off a corner. Leicester, one of the worst teams when defending set pieces, so <laughs> yeah. that's no surprise there. But the the onslaught of goals, the reply in the twenty third minute from uh, Mendy, the holding mid with an absolute screamer off a rebound. James Madison two minutes later from Ianacho again, who's putting a couple good games together. He then bags a goal for himself in the extra time of the first half, assisted from new boy Sutar. Yep. Uh, and then a, a little bonus goal there in the 81st, assisted by Madison to Harvey Barnes, who uh, I believe a few minutes prior to that had it scored already, but was VARD, uh, was the, the, the goal was VARD off. So a result that does great things for Leicester, keeps them out of that mix of relegation scrappers, but also helps them climb up to that mid-table type of area. So a result that's perfect for them. Uh, keeps Ianacho on flying form, so he'll definitely be continuing to start. And uh, they did this without Yuri Tillemans, who wasn't even there on the day. So good signs for Braj. Keeps him in charge for a longer time. It seems like every time we bring it up of him being on the hot seat, he he cools down, buys himself a few more weeks. And then... For Tottenham, uh, Conte wasn't on the sidelines, I believe, but was at the game. He was attending it um, after his recovery, came back from Italy. This hurts them. It's, it kills a bit of a run after two great wins for them over City and Fulham, and now um, in a bit of limbo there, a few points from the top four, but also teams behind them have games in hand, and Brighton are in a position where they could jump them. So it's, it hurts them really bad, and... It's not something that Conte would be pleased with, with uh, Loris being out until April, I believe. Yeah, uh, huge takeaway from this game is the fact that Kalechi Iannaccio is absolutely back, 100%. I mean, the guy's been an absolute demon since last week. I know it's just two weeks in a row, but what a composed, beautiful finish. Uh, beat a defender, just lovely little slot home to the... Left side of the net, uh, Fraser Forster stinks, unfortunately. Uh, I, I My agenda is just slowly rotting because I always thought he was so good whenever he played in net for Southampton against Arsenal, but it seems like he's been extremely fallible. Uh, I don't really think you can bring it all down to him. The fact that you're playing Eric Dyer as your primary center back is concerning uh, at best, and he's just continued to be an absolute nonce. Uh, been been really really shit. So th- that that's part of why Forster's been conceding goals. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. Losing Bentoncour is is a huge thing. He's gonna be out for eight months now. That's yeah. that's a fucking disaster. Out. That's a fucking huge disaster. Uh, you have to deal with Hoiberg and probably Ollie Skip in a in a pivot. That's that's not really <laughs> what you want right now as Tottenham. With an already kind of suspect midfield, uh, you don't you don't want to lose Pentagor because he is he's class he's he's very good I think, uh, and losing him is is extremely tough because now you have to rely on Kulisevsky's son and Kane to score more goals because your your regular midfield and your defense are just not up to snuff. Uh, we did see Poro in this one, uh, not a great debut for him to concede four goals, but obviously we know it's not all his fault. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Tottenham are just in a really, really, really bad spot right now. They were without their manager for a couple of weeks. They aren't scoring goals at the clip that they should be scoring goals with their front three. Uh, and it's just been a, a complete mess. So 
losing 4-1 to Leicester here is shocking. Uh, and it is a really bad result. I don't think any Tottenham fan would, would tell you otherwise. Um, but I, what I do want to say is, um, avid listener of the show, Steamboat Willie, Kyle Aronofsky, a Jersey Spurs fan, a good friend, um, said he was at a bar in, I forget where that bar is. I think it's up by like, see, not Seabright, but Point Pleasant, somewhere around there. It's called Darcy's. It's one of the most famous, um, soccer bars in New Jersey. Not that there's many. He said all the Arsenal fans were worried about the, the Spurs scoreline, you know, 4-1 to Leicester City, while we were still drawn nil-nil with Arsenal. That's hmm. bad business. That's bad business from, from all Gunners fans. Uh, you really? Know, that's bad, bad, bad business. That's gross. And we only got a point from our game. So, you know, we, we got to worry about ourselves. Uh, that's... That's bad. I'd like to apologize yeah. on, on behalf of the fan base. I don't know why you'd be worried about them. You're 12 points ahead of them. I know. It's, it's two games in hand. That's small club mentality, isn't it? And you already took care of them this year. That's right. Small club mentality. It's disgusting. I, I'd like to, to apologize. Hmm. All right. Shall we move on to the next one? Absolutely. Well, this is the game that I just mentioned. Arsenal 1, Brentford 1. A... Very locked up game. Uh, Leandro Trussard with the first goal in the 66th. Eight minutes later, Ivan Tony scored on what was almost certainly, uh, you know, an offside play. He was in an offside position. Uh, the game ends 1-1. Not a ton of offense from Arsenal. We had seven shots on target, but this was, again, not our best offensive performance. The lack of clinical finishing has been an issue. Just two shots on target for Brentford, but they held uh, the dam. You know, these these guys, they are tenacious. They play a very strong, physical, and organized style of football. And I think to hold the league leaders to one is very commendable. Um, Arsenal probably should have gotten away with three points, but we got to score more goals if we don't want to be put in these positions. If you don't want to be put in a position where you're dealing with a VAR situation and you think it should be, you sh- think you should have won the game, um, then you have to, you know, we should have been up two nil or three nil or, you know, whatever it may be one nil in the 70th minute. It's, it's squeaky bum time. This kind of shit happens, especially against a team like Brentford who are playing well and are, who are managed well. Um, you know, I have to ask you, did you hear that? Uh, I think it was, I forget. It wasn't, um, who I said it was, but the VAR official, whoever was, I said it was Mike Dean. It wasn't Mike Dean. He's fully retired. Said he didn't draw the lines on Tony. So if your job as the VAR official is to draw the lines, you would think you could just draw them, right? Yeah, it's it's the one job you're there to do on it's the day. Insane. It's uh it's not really much you're asking of them. There's no in person things. It's everything's behind a camera, you're at a desk. Uh I've never they've never shown like what the VAR setup is that I know of, but yeah, and I if I'm thinking of this correctly, I think if this was the same guy he was supposed to be doing the Liverpool game or another game after and they switched him last second for Andre Mariner is somebody to sit in and do it because of uh, whoever it is. They're taking a break after one of their decisions. So, 
yeah, it's a simple job on paper and you'd like them to do their job, I would imagine. And this, these, if this is a match, like the first couple games of the year, it's not as serious as we're thinking potentially like a, the, when I think back to the second game, Chelsea Tottenham with the, the Benson Corfau and it leads to their goal and that not being checked, that game still means something now, but it's not as bad as at the time. And this is a period in the year where you it's opening up to a, a very close title race now um, from a difference of a three-point lead compared to a five-point lead is everything. So yep. it's inexcusable. It's something that will never be truly um, reprehend or what's the word I'm looking for? You'll never get the reparations that you need or like what's due. They'll just give you a sorry, and that's really it, and it's not going to mean anything. It's not like they're going to fire him. So but that's, that stuff will never change, so we just have to move on and maybe look for solutions come the end of the year. What are ways we can make sure this doesn't happen again? So I don't know if an AI is, is programmed to do the lines, maybe, or something along those lines, but, yeah, I just it's I just feel really dirty the, like these type of decisions, the, the this technology was implemented for these reasons, and it's still not being done right. So it's it's tough. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I will say congratulations to Leandro Trossard for his first goal in an Arsenal kit. He's been coming on around halftime, around 60th, uh, the 60th minute, and he hasn't made a huge impact so far, but he was good here. He did get us that goal. Um, I saw today before we move on. Because I, I didn't think Sokka was unbelievable in this game. Sok, if you had to pick one, right? Sokka or Rashford for better season so far? The answer is easily Rashford for me, but I saw people in the comments, morons, arguing that it would be Sokka. I don't even think it's close. I love him to death, but... Yeah, I think there's been more contributors overall to the Arsenal success. Right. When you look at the beginning of the year, your defense was solid. We saw Saliba growing. Ramsell stepped up in moments. Samchenko's done well. Um, Jesus early on contributed to a lot of goal creations, and Saka didn't have the best start of years. We were talking at the beginning of the of this season, thinking uh, where's Saka been because he's not really getting many looks, and now he's he's gotten his goals and assists. But now you're in a bad period where they need to come out of it, and Rashford has. Pretty much, not pretty much, but he's done it. But I'd say seventy-five percent of the the offensive work for United. Yeah. When they when they need somebody, obviously, Martial's never fully fit. Valtvec, of course, currently does. He's just there, similar to how like Chris Wood's been the last few years. Garnacho's a bit too young. Alanga's not getting the time that he did in the past. Sancho went away. Anthony is hit or miss. So. Yeah, if I had to give a better season at the moment, I'd go Rashford, but I think both are just as important to their teams. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Crystal Palace versus Brighton. This one's you. Another game where VAR kind of did Brighton dirty here. Um, yeah. They really they deserved the win. It's turn. They had seventy four percent of the ball away. That's if you're if you're a Palace fan. And you buy tickets, and you go to the game, and your team only has the ball for twenty five percent of the time. That's you're you're very upset. Um, and the lineup wasn't the best. It wasn't the best looking. No Eze in the starting lineup. Uh, Zaha's been out. Um, no Edward in the lineup either. He came off the bench. So 
and uh, what's his name? Uh, Joakim Anderson still battling injury. So not your A team, but at the end of the day, you're delighted with the result. Your team did just enough to get the job done. Um, we didn't get a goal until the second half. We got Sali March in the 63rd minute from a assist from a Stupinian who played exceptionally well. He had a goal in this game that was ruled off. But we had a a big goalkeeper error from Robert Sanchez, who yeah. has had a great year so far for them, and comes up for a, a high ball to claim, and he, he loses grip of it, and it falls down, and James Tompkins, out of all people, is there to tap it in, who definitely is in his farewell <laughs> tour, I would say, after this year. Yeah. Um, we saw him freaking get a red card in the Fulham game earlier this year. Uh, elbow and Mitrovic in the face. Yep. But it was enough for them to get something to hold on to and get out of there because out of all the teams, I think Palace have had one of the roughest runs and they're still right there in 12th. So that's saying something for the teams below them in, in itself. But yeah, we saw Ferguson get subbed on here in the 57th minute. So he didn't have the best of games, but he's slowly getting back from injury. And I think Brighton keep going on. They have a plus 11 goal differential, which is the the fourth best this year, and they're right there with two games in hand. Uh, if they can win both of those, it puts them right there in fourth, fifth position. So they're not out of it when it comes to top four. And with the season they've had so far with managerial changes and um, players having issues, leaving the club or wanting to leave the club, Caicedo started here. Yep. So they've had their own troubles, and they're doing just fine, and I think that shows – what can get done in this league. Um, obviously, there's different media attention and and obviously wages at the, these type of clubs compared to the bigger clubs that we support. But you're playing in the same league, you're playing the same teams, and you're you're with the guys that you have. And they've done they've turned water into wine. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, there's all credit to them. And for Palace, they'd be happy with this point. Yeah, they that's that's very true. Brighton have absolutely turned water into wine. That is a that's a really really good way to look at it. It is so rare. Uh, we haven't seen it much. I mean, there was a year that Sheffield United were were solid. Uh, there was that year where Leicester came up and won the league. That's another. That's the closest I think I can find to this Brighton team where there's a very well implemented system. You have a good coach, the Serbi. Obviously, it hasn't been their coach the whole time. It was Potter for a majority of the time. Uh, but DeSerby's come right in and implemented his own system. It's a build-off. It's a little bit of a piggyback against what Potter was doing. Um, and it's been really good, man. They're just really good. They're very solid. They defend well. Uh, they've got some big fuckers back there as well. And we've seen that work for Newcastle as well this year. And they found really good, cheap players, young guys who are going to come in and fight. And that's exactly like Caicedo, Lamptey, even Solly March has comes to mind. And that's exactly what they've done here. They've just been amazing this year. I don't think they're going to be too upset with taking a point here. They've got three wins and two draws in their last five, which is fantastic form uh, in a league this compacted. And Palace on the other side, I don't think that they're going to be upset with a point either. Um, they had two losses in their last five and they get a point here. Uh, so they've got three points from their last five games, which isn't beautiful. You'd like to get a win there. Uh, but I do think palace, you know, to fight in this game against an extremely well put together team is a good thing. And Vieira really needs every point he can get. Uh, they're in 12th place right now. I'd, I'd feel really, really 
shitty if they, you know, at the end of the year decided to move on from Vieira. Because to put Palace without Zaha in 12th position in this Premier League with how competitive it's been the past five years, it's pretty good, right? Like, it's not, it's not something to be uh, slandered. Yeah, I don't think since they've come up in the early 2010s or late yeah. 2000s, they've, they've never finished above 11th, I don't think. So, yeah, so they're just looking for that extra that push, well. that, that extra bit of talent. And we have to remember that Zaha's contract expires this summer, and I don't believe he's negotiated a new one. So if he moves on, there's going to be a big yeah. opening up front for somebody to come in, and they have some nice young pieces in. Eze and Elize to bring to build off of. Um, Czech Ducori as like a holding mid mm-hmm. has been a nice addition this year. So I think that last piece for them is that key guy up front. We know they have a, it's being run by committee up front with Ayu, Mateta, and Edward. And it's, it's getting the job done for mid table. But if they want to build and become a what Fulham, Brighton, and Brentford have become this year, that that's, they just need to find that in their academy or yeah. the club's recruitment has to find those young talents somewhere out there on good bargains. And that's another thing for Brighton. Even after all the people that have left on the field, they've lost, they've lost quite a bit of people behind the scenes when it comes to their recruitment team, coaching staff and those type of positions. And just the culture of the club is holding up whoever comes in. So, yeah. Uh, and one more thing is like with Grand Potter, we've we've known when he was at Brighton and also now with Chelsea, scoring goals is a problem for him yeah. in his teams. But they've scored the fourth most goals this year, more goals than United and Newcastle. They're at thirty nine, which is something that we would never think a Brighton team could do at this stage yeah. of the season. Absolutely true. And quickly, what I'll say about about Palace before we move on to what I thought was a game of the week for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, you either have to spend a lot and buy a lot of, of players if you want to find somebody to replace a guy like Zaha, or you have to spend a lot and buy one guy that you know is going to work. Or spend nothing and buy a thousand players and see what's going to work. And what they do is spend very little and buy very little. Yeah, that's just not. You know, you can do a combination of those things and and maybe find a guy to replace him, but you can't just not throw your hat into the ring. And we're seeing like what Chelsea are doing on a obviously the largest scale you can imagine. They're buying everything they see, and some of them are going to work out. That's what you have to do. And I know that they've brought a couple of guys in that are young, you know, from the academy or guys that they've bought for small fees, Elize and Eze and guys like that. But um, you have to you have to spend some money, I think, next summer if you're not going to renew uh, Zaha's contract, which I don't, you know, I, I really don't have an issue with that. If they want to let him walk, that's fine. Uh, Wilf's career is, is coming to a close. He's still young enough, but I think he's 30. Yeah, he's 30. So as a winger or a striker, he plays both positions. That's you're getting into your, your elder years, right? It's late prime. If that, uh, and it's, it Typically, is yeah. probably time for him to move on. So that's fine. Uh, I don't, I don't really have an issue. If he wants to go sit on the bench for, a top six club, then that's totally his right to do that. 
If you guys didn't get Trossard, would would you have made a move for him this summer? I would take him. I would take Zaha, but I think Trossard's a little bit younger. And he, at this point, he's probably a bit more dynamic. He played in that Potter system. I think uh, he had like a similar attitude issue with Mikel, like Aubameyang. Yeah, I think Zaha maybe would be a little bit tougher to slot into the team just because of how young we are. Uh, I don't know if if a veteran, like, because he really is a veteran. He's been in the league for as long as I can remember at this point. Um, I think it would be tough for him to find a serious starting role in that Arsenal side. I just don't think he'd fit in because in Mikel's system, he prefers the youth, and that's the culture that they've built. So, yeah, if, if he was available in the summer and we hadn't signed a backup winger, I'd say, yeah, sure, we'll take him. Uh, but I, I still think I think Trossard was a better move for sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, good question. We'll move on to Southampton versus Wolves. I know Jesus. you guys may be shocked to hear that this was the game I found interesting, but it really was a good game. Southampton won, Wolves two. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz got the scoring off early for Southampton. They go up one nil. Then. We had some nonsense. Mario Lamina getting a red card. He he had already gotten a yellow card, but he got a second yellow for being the third player to approach a referee and appeal for another foul call. So the ref gave him the yellow because the third player, apparently, this is what the referee said, the third player that comes up always gets the yellow card, which <laughs> is that written down somewhere? Or no. I feel like I've seen an entire 11 go up to a referee and appeal a foul call. This was one of the most bullshit issues of a yellow to give him a, a, you know, a double yellow red. This was such shit and Southampton got away with it and they played for another 50 minutes thinking maybe they'd get away with murder. But it was then that the ball fizzled into the box. Jan Bednarik got lost all over all six, five of him dribbled into his own net, unable to clear the ball, complete disaster. And then 15 minutes later, Jao Gomez with an absolutely divine half volley uh, beats the keeper. Zunu just unable to do anything about it. 2-1 Wolves, game ends there. I mean, this was a crazy game and Wolves fought back from 1-0 down with 10 men. What a performance from Lopetegui's men. This was amazing. Yeah, it's one of those games that kind of defines your year a bit, um, more so for Southampton because Nathan Jones lost his job after this game. Um, I think after the game, he just left down the tunnel, just knew it was coming. And short three months lived for him in the Prem after coming up from Luton Town in the championship. Don't know where he's going to end up next. Not looking good on the CV after... uh, going to Southampton and not helping their case to stay up. Um, But their solution is Jesse Marsh, who just got sacked from Leeds two weeks ago. So I think they have a big game in in the next upcoming weeks against Leeds too. So that is definitely a game I'll be circling on my calendar to watch. But for this game, I mean, this just does not help the players' morale and mentality to stay up in this league. Even being up a man... And it's seeming like you're playing worse is hard. And maybe that shows more so for the players' respect for the coach. And they just didn't 
didn't feel that urge to play for him. They didn't have the respect due to the off-field press conferences and questioning of when the, the coach is asked. And whenever it's a success, the team wins, like they did against Man City in the League Cup uh, earlier this year. Uh, it was a us. And then when they lose, it's it's the player's problem. That doesn't really help his case to get their support. And maybe they did this on purpose to get him out. Who knows? But, yeah, it's really unforgivable on their end. And for Wolves, it's just like Leicester's win. This gets them a big, big bit of breathing room away from all the nonsense below them and puts them closer to where we thought they'd be at the beginning of the year, right there in that mid-table area. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just such a a really shit start for Wolves this year. Uh, as soon as Lopetegui comes in, they, they totally flip it around. It, and it is like... He was the manager of Barcelona. Like we have to remember that this guy does have a certain pedigree, um, and he's done such a good job, sort of turning things around for Wolves. I just really wasn't sure uh, that he'd be able to come in and save everything, but they seem to play for him. And I don't really think their roster is that bad on paper. Like when you look at no. it, uh, Moutinho is a player who can do a job. Same thing with with Nunez. Uh, Neves, another one. Like we know that those guys are capable of of solid individual performances. I think Cunha was a good signing. Um, they still have Adama Traore and you know guys like that. It's it's important, and it was important for them to have a decent year. And it's not going to be the year that they wanted for sure. Uh, but for them to just avoid relegation and then give Lopetegui a full shot at it next year, I think is is pretty much what you can hope for at this point. So cheers to him. I mean, really, really impressive stuff. Uh, okay, you're up next with Bournemouth versus Newcastle. Yeah, Eddie Howe returning to the club that gave him everything and he made himself a legend at um, going to Vitality Stadium or Vitality Stadium with the lowest capacity crowd in the league at 10,000. Uh, really really sets you back with the grassroots type of the game, but Bournemouth getting a massive result here uh, against a team as, as successful as Newcastle have been this year um, is great for their morale and Gary O'Neill too, who they haven't had the best of luck. They've still no wins in their last six, but earning a big point that long-term could definitely help them. The the new boy in uh, Dango Otuare, I yeah. think, from the French League. He's still been killing it in the last three games. He's been involved in a lot of their build-up and getting assists and goals. Links up here with a flick on off a corner to Marco Sensi. Another signing they got this year, I think, from Feyenoord. Was not was not lived long enough. Miguel Amaron in the 45th minute gets the equalizer right before the half. Uh, nice build-up play for them. A quick counter as well. And that leveled the playing field. Uh, and then from there on, it was just a battle back and forth, subs made here and there. Uh, but the major thing I saw was the lack of creativity from Newcastle's midfield without Bruno Guimaraes. You see the difference it makes when he's not in this team. It brings their their level play down and really shows you what they were kind of last year in the middle of the park with Willick, Joelington, and Longstaff. So they need him back ASAP. Uh, and up front, Isak wasn't great overall he, he needed a bit more service and when he did get on the ball he looked a bit flustered too with the amount of physical play on him so definitely flaws up front for newcastle but we saw the back line get breached off a set piece that whenever we think a ball is whipped in they're the they're the biggest team in general and can deal with anything but 
if you can get to that front post and flick it on, anything's possible. So maybe that's somewhat of a a format that teams can build off of and to kind of expose them on. So um, Newcastle's 11th draw this year. They have more draws than wins now. Only one loss still. Still in the top four. Um, five draws in their last six games. And in those last six games, Evan, they've only scored three goals. Yeah, that's a problem. Are there questions going forward, or should they still just be happy they are where they are and they have a cup final to get ready for against Man United? No, I don't. I I mean, I can see why maybe some Newcastle fans would think that, but I don't think, like, now you have to consider the fact that Newcastle are owned by the PIF, which is just, like, unbelievable wealth. When you have a season like this and you outperform expectations in pretty much every metric set by your club beforehand in the last decade, yeah. you have to keep going. Like you can't just say like, "Oh, I got here. Like this is fine." You have to keep going, and the goals have absolutely dried up. I don't think it's a matter of if they've been figured out. Like that doesn't really seem to be an issue. It's as you mentioned earlier, just like a drop off in creativity. Uh, Almiron got a goal here, but He's been really quiet, and Almiron is where they were getting so much of their contribution from. If he wasn't scoring, he was assisting, or he was opening up space with driving runs, and that's sort of fallen off a little bit. So it's okay. Like, you know, this is one of those results that it does happen. Like, we just saw Arsenal lose to Everton, um, and we saw, you know, them 1-1 against... um, against Brentford. This kind of happens when you're in the top five sometimes, top six. Um, But you do have to strive for more. You have to want to beat Bournemouth. They should have probably hammered them. Uh, And I do think that it's it's a little bit troubling, um, but that is certainly something that's fixable. Mm -hmm. St. Max also kind of mid these days. I don't, I'm not sure what's going on there, but a guy like St. Max is so creative. I wish they use him a little bit more. Or uh, he doesn't, he can't really play centrally, is the thing, because he relies so much on his foot skills and cutting. Um, he's just like kind of mid. He doesn't really do everything that I would want a player of that, that caliber to do. Like you look at Matoma or even uh, Treore is not really a good comp, but Dembele, I think, is another good comp. Usman Dembele. Those guys can finish, and they cut in really well, effectively, and dish the ball well. And St. Max doesn't really do that. So uh, outside of a couple of great goals that he scored for them during his time there, he's just been like so underwhelming and so injured all the time. And for a guy that, wear, that wears a Gucci headband and walks with the swagger like he does, you, you expect a little bit more, I think. Yeah, I think he does a little too much on the ball, and when he yeah. does make plays, it's like a bit too much. I think if he worried less about getting the stats and being the center of attention maybe um if just let the ball do the work and quick plays and there's time and place for when he can show off on things um he could be a much better player i know he's come out before and said like he's wants to win the ballon d'or and those types of awards and Hmm. those are great to have to motivate you but i think if you just keep your feet on the ground and you look to the next game and what you can improve on to succeed and help your team i think that could benefit him more long term so um and you got to think you already mentioned that what what uh, the owners who are backing this club and what financially they can bring to this team and 
if he doesn't perform or pick up these results for himself, uh, they could easily move on from him and replace him. Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, nobody's job is safe in this league. Okay, uh, up next, Manchester City 3, Aston Villa 1. This one is mine. Uh, this one went probably how everybody expected it to go. Uh, yeah. Rodri with a fantastic goal in the fourth. Ilke Gundogan adding one in the 39th. And then penalty from Riyad Mahrez in stoppage time of the first half. Ollie Watkins pulled one back in the 61st, but it was too little too late for the villains. The battle of the light blue teams went City's way. 17 shots, 9 shots on target. Just 6 shots and 2 of those on target for Villa. 70% possession for City in this one. And a little bit of a different performance than what we've uh, come to expect. Holland dropping a little bit deeper, playing the ball across the mouth of the goal. De Bruyne playing really De Bruyne's role. Um... And very effectively, may I add, this was different. City played different in this game. It's obviously still one system, but uh, not just the dominant goal-scoring Terminator performance we've come to know uh, and maybe love, maybe hate from Erling Holland. I will ask you this question. It's no shock that KDB is back in the team and the team is playing with creativity and flair again, right? I mean, that's, that's what they were missing for those two weeks where they were dropping results. Yeah, 100%. I think Kyle Walker being back in the team as well helps with the pace and experience he brings. Bernardo Silva was filling in as like a left center back at times, um, which was some of the plays was interesting when they're playing the ball over the top and you see him going to defend Ali Watkins on breaks. It's interesting tactic. It's something that we can only think Pep would think of. So he's utilizing guys in a fluid system really well and um, Mares has pretty much confirmed himself to be the out and out starter on that right side. Bernardo Silva's only playing time is deeper and further back, with Gunduan pushing up even higher. Um, we saw Foden come off the bench here, so they're getting back to full strength. Um, I will say, what did you think about the decision on the penalty? Not the decision giving the penalty, but the kicker, um, because we did see. Gundogan make it clear that he wanted Mares to take it, and if you're Erling Holland, like, wouldn't you want to take that to get closer to thirty and break that record? Probably, but I think it's. I mean, was there a deliberation? I missed the penalty. I didn't see the penalty. Was there? Was there? I think, I think Rodri was trying to take it or something. Yeah, he should never be and, taking it. And Gundogan stepped in and grabbed the ball and gave it to Mares. Yeah, Mars is a good penalty taker, though. I think he's made his last four or five now, mm-hmm. so it makes sense. Don't let, don't take it away from the hot hand. But yeah. I'm just saying, if you're Holland, like you take every goal you can get. We saw like we've seen uh, Salah, like previous Golden yeah, Boot winners, like they've they've scored 25 goals in a year, and like nine of them are pens. Yeah, I mean, I I understand that. Like, I don't, I don't, I think Holland scores them too for sure. Uh, he's taken a couple penalties for City this year, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't, as long as it was, there wasn't a deliberation between the two players. He was, if he wasn't upset about it, then I actually think it's a good thing. Um, and it's fine if, if he doesn't care, if he's confident enough that he's going to be able to score 30 goals by himself, which by the way, he probably will. He's got 25 already, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just in the league. So, I mean, that's, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody if he, if he gets to 30, I think everybody's expecting it. 
Yeah, I think it's fine to let Mares take it. He's a good penalty taker, can use both feet, and his track record this season is very good in both uh, the CLN in this. So, um, yeah. yeah, and we also got really to fun. see a we also got to see a nice little start for your ex Arsenal player Callum Chambers in the back there. That's right, we did, uh, and they got absolutely rinsed. So, I don't yeah. really think anybody's surprised. I mean, this this Villa team, like when I look at them on paper. I really do like their team. Outside of maybe Ashley Young, I think they have an extremely solid team. Their bench, there's nobody on their bench besides Coutinho, and he's finished at this point. Um, but yeah, you have Watkins, you have Leon Bailey. I've been critical of Leon Bailey because I do think he's a good player. Um, Buendia's come into his own a little bit this season. He's been better this year than he has in years past. Jacob Ramsey's a really good player. Kamara and Louise, both solid. And then you have Ezri Kansa and Luca Digne back there, who I think are both good as well. They're missing Mings for sure, um, but he's out with injury right now. And yeah, I mean, this it's not a bad team. Villa, like they should be capable of being in, you know, they're a standard mid table team. Yeah, they're a standard mid table team. But I think if everybody filed on fired on all cylinders, like we could see a season where they're in seventh or eighth where Fulham and Brentford are. But that that just yeah. doesn't happen for Villa. It never has. They're always just mid. And it's kind of unfortunate because I think some of these young players, especially like Buendia is a guy that comes to mind. If you put him on a better team, I think he has a much easier time being effective. And or not even a better team, just a team that is more set up. And they've dealt with with some nonsense this year. Now that Emery is there, things will be better, I think. But it is it's tough because I don't think Villa have a really shitty team, whereas some of these other teams really do. I think they're still somewhat in that area era where like uh, Tottenham was when they sold Bale and they got all that money and they reinvested into five or six players. We saw the same thing with the Grealish money they brought in, uh, Dunye, Buendia, Bailey. Um, those types of players, and we're still waiting to see all of them start clicking, as you're mentioning. So um, they're still trying to get that core together. And we did see um, that uh, Jean Duran, uh, who they bought from in the winter transfer window from the Chicago Fire striker, came in. He had a nice little quick shot on target off the crossbar. So that's nice to see some MLS representation in the league too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, I think we have one more here. Leave this one to you, the Merseyside Derby. Yeah, it was a a game that I think every Liverpool fan was worried about with the forum they were in and with the potential embarrassment of losing to their rivals who haven't won this game more than once in the last 24 meetings would have been embarrassing for Klopp and the club in general, but... They get the result they needed. They get a 2-0 win. Goals coming from Mo Salah in the 36th from Darwin Nunes, who's been on Fraud Watch for, I think, seven weeks now or something. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if he's off it yet, but we'll get there. Yeah, and he then, can be off for a week only, though. Only a week. And then, uh, yeah, he's on, he's, on, uh, he's on standby. Probation, um, yeah. Yeah, house arrest. Uh, and then we had Cody Gakpo as well get his first goal in the league for Liverpool too in the 49th so it's nice to see all three of the front men get involved in the scoring and then from there they kind of locked it down Everton never really looked like they were going to score which was surprising because 
this Liverpool team, I don't think, has kept a clean sheet in a quite a quite a long. Well, the, what was that the uh, the nil nil against Chelsea? I should have known better, but yeah, they've they've been leaking goals throughout the entire year. Van Dyke was on the bench. We saw Jota and Firmino get in this game. They're back from injury, so on top of the win and having all, all your key players come back in a little bit of a of a role to play in this game, not full strength, but still. All signs are good for them. It's a bounce-back win. It puts them above Chelsea now. They have a few games in hand on teams around them and could put them right back in that top six. Yeah. So, And I, I think Jamie Carragher has come out and said that top four is not out of the question yet, which I don't think is right. too far crazy. He needs I, to I, find God, dude. Obviously, that's a bit of a biased opinion on his part. but He's such I a dick rider. I don't think it's totally, totally out of the question between Chelsea and Liverpool. There's a lot of games left. The teams above them, perennially, aren't the deepest of teams, and one or two injuries could kill them, but still. Uh, and then now with Tottenham having Bentoncourt out, their midfield is completely scraped. Then, uh, so I think it's really open for those two teams to get back in it, but we need a few more results to go their way and for them to go on a run. Obviously, that now that Champions League is back, they're their fixture congestion is terrible and that's one that's probably one of the number one pet peeves for Klopp is fix, fixture congestion so yeah they're not they're not out of the woods yet but um i guess for you touching on the Everton side of things what did you think well i just think that like i was i was actually kind of surprised i thought the 451 because i mean we knew that's how it was going to be like we were just certain that it was going to be that way we knew decore onana and Idris gay would be in the center dude that is a that is a central midfield of absolute tanks i thought that if yeah, the they ball were they were they they just they play really hard and i think that's good like Dyche loves players like that and it's it's good that everton have a surplus of them really um also just free like big big physical players and that works perfectly for Dyche. um that didn't really matter because the ball was played on the flanks liverpool actually went back to cross you know cross an inshallah like that's how that's how they won a champions league that's how they won a league that's exactly how they did it and they absolutely skinned the everton outside backs alive on the counter attack that first goal that salah scored just it was like three passes, two passes they're in, just running on the break. It was four versus one. There was no way they were ever going to stop that goal. And that might be what Liverpool have to do. Go back to that against the shitty teams and then play a possessed central midfield style of play against the better teams because you're going to have to win through duels. But I, when you're playing a team like Everton, just like playing the ball up the wing and running and crossing or dragging... Like it, it can work if you have really pacey wingers, and and they do. They have three of the fastest players in the league, probably. Nunez is probably the fastest player in the league. Salah is, is has fallen off a bit in terms of pace, but is still very quick. And then Gakpo, who's just gigantic, so his strides are so long, and that's that's how they won this game. So, I think Everton, you can't really, you know expect to get a ton of points from this fixture all the time they got a point earlier this year in a nil-nil draw um and you know it's just not going to happen every time so i don't think everton can be that depressed about it they just took three points off the league leaders last week you got to still be happy with that 
Yeah. And my one other thing is that, like, why is Jordan Pickford the England number one? He fucking uh-huh. stinks, dude. He's always out of position. Like, he's such a mess. He's just, he's basically just Ramsdale if Ramsdale was more shit. And he is kind of shit at some points anyway. But I, I just think Pickford's positioning is... Some days he shows up and he's unstoppable. But a lot of the time he shows up and he's just, like, fucking lost. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that's going to depend on where Everton finish this year, if they get relegated or not. Because I think there are talks have been going for a long time that maybe Pickford needs to move on to a more established club in the league with wow. a better defense. And we'll see how he goes from there. But... It's kind of tough to argue for his case because of how successful Newcastle and Arsenal are doing this year. I mean, look at Pope, though. Like, he's an absolute G. Yeah, they have the most clean sheets this year, and there are England defenders in that defense, too. So, I don't know. It's tough. Obviously, in any coaching sense, you always prefer certain players. So, maybe, like, how Maguire is a guy for, for Southgate, maybe Pickford is as well. So... Um, we know Southgate's going to be there um, for the next Euros. He hasn't signed on fully for the World Cup yet, but we'll see in two years' time how the lineup will be then and where he's at. But, yeah, if I had to pick a guy, I'd probably go with Pope right now. Yeah, all right. I think that's fair. I'm with you. I, I would pick Pope, too, if I was Southgate. I, I just think he's he's very solid, and he's fucking huge is the other thing. Um. Okay, well, that's everything. I think we got every game, right? Yep, that was it. All right, cool. So we will jump into our preview for the week. Arsenal, the team that get boned uh, this week. It happened to United last week. They had a game on Wednesday and then a game on Sunday. We've got a game on Wednesday and then a game on Saturday, which is not what you want, but um, it does happen. Unfortunately, the first game is against second place, Manchester City. Arsenal going up against them. Thankfully, it's at the Emirates, but I'm not sure how much it's going to matter. City have a chance to uh, tie us on points if they win this game, so we'll be hoping for just a point at least. Who do you have in this one? I'll I'll let you go first, because the probability is in favor of City, believe it or not. Yeah, quickly I'd say our records last week, uh, Evan, you and Zach went 4-7. and Ugh. And I went six and five. I managed to scrape a couple late ones there. Good on you, mate. Uh, the Liverpool win was huge. Um, but in this game, I have to go with Man City. It's father against son, and I gotta go with Pep. Yeah, I'll go with uh, I'll go with David then. If you're gonna go with Goliath, I'll I'll take Arsenal. Uh, I don't like to. I'm not like buying into the fact that they're like underdogs or anything like that. I I don't think they are. I think I mean, Arsenal have a very good chance here. Yeah, you're still um, undefeated at home. You haven't lost. Yeah, so you know, I know we've got two losses this year and a draw. We're coming off a loss and a draw consecutively. Not great. Um, I think they show up against City. They showed up against City last year at the end of the year. They gave yeah. them a really good game. I mean, we lost 2-1, but... Yeah, you got screwed late on there. Yeah, we got boned, and it was a very good performance. This is going to be a good game of football. Like I'm, I'm extremely excited about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm playing golf tomorrow, and they they were like, "When do you want to play?" I was like, "I need to be home for the Arsenal game." So you know, wh- whenever that must be, then it must be. But uh, I'm super excited for this one. I will take Arsenal. I think we win this game. Yeah. I think it's tightly contested. 
Uh, I can see there being a lot of goals, kind of similar to the uh, Arsenal versus United fixture that we just had. You know, was that not even a month ago, right? Yeah, Sack's going to go with a draw. He's going to okay. go down the middle. Cool. So we've got it uh, spread apart. All three of us have a different pick. Uh, the next game is the first game of the week, Arsenal against Aston Villa. Can't believe they couldn't even stretch us out to maybe the 10 a.m. start. Uh, I'll take Arsenal on this one. I think they, they batter Villa. I think no matter what the result is on Wednesday, it's going to be tough on the players' legs. We may see a bit of rotation. Um, who knows? But I I have to go with Arsenal as well here. Um, they can't go on a massive stretch of games where they drop the bag because then it's over. Arsenal fan TV is going to get start foaming at the mouth. And... It's all they already are. It's get it's getting active oh, really? again. Oh yeah, it's it's getting there for sure. The slightest dip in form. Obviously, if you're playing to win a title, any dip in form is is like D Day. But yeah, for where we thought they'd fin- I think you picked predicted them to finish third. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I still think it's a success. It's a successful year in general for them, but with how things have turned out and in the stage we're at, where they are, it's almost like you have to go for it. And so I think they'll win this game against Villa. And yeah. So is Zach. Okay. Cool. So we all have them there. Uh, who do you have in Brentford versus Crystal Palace? The first 10 a.m. game. Uh, I'm going with Brentford. Brentford at home are very good. Uh, they've only lost once at home this year. They have a very good goal differential as well. We saw the result they pulled against Arsenal, how how tight it was. Yep. I, th- I think regardless of the VAR decision, they still definitely deserve something out of that game. And I think going against a, a very fragile Palace team uh, definitely helps them. And uh, Zach's going to go with Brentford as well. Okay, cool. Uh I think I'm going to go with Brentford too. I, I hate to, you know, just all of us echo the same picks, but I think Palace got kind of lucky last week. He can avoid off of Brighton and Brighton are, and Brentford are both BR teams. They're so, they're so similar. They're so just consistent and solid and good at the back. I think Brentford just edged them out this week. I, I don't think uh, Palace will be lucky enough to get, two points or even more off of, you know, two really good teams two weeks in a row. I just can't see it happening. So I'll take Brentford. Um, okay, up next, Wolves versus Bournemouth. Kind of finding myself rooting for Wolves a little bit these days. I'm going to take them to win against Bournemouth. Can see this one being 2-0. Bournemouth just a little bit quiet offensively right now. I think this is one of those games that could sneak up on Wolves. Uh, they could definitely overlook them. Bournemouth are the worst team on the road this year, only picking up five points. Uh, Wolves, not the best at home either, but still their recent form's proven they've done well. They've gotten big results, that most recent one being a 3-0 win over Liverpool. So Zach and I are also picking Wolves. Okay, cool. Um, then we have Brighton versus Fulham up next. Who do you have there? I have a draw. These teams are having mirror images. They're mirroring each other this year, seventh and and, uh, sixth. Same points, goal differential more in favor of Brighton. Uh, And I think Brighton at home are a little bit better than Fulham on the road. I think Mitrovic hasn't had a best form. Um, Him against Dunk's going to be a very big battle. But I think Brighton coming off that disappointing result against Palace is going to play on their minds. And I'm really excited to see Matoma go up against Tete on that that side of the field. 
because uh, both of those guys have had a great year. But I think it's going to be a, a like a one-one draw. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really, really fun game to watch. It should be end to end. Brighton are a little bit quicker, I think, on the flanks, but who knows? I mean, William's been surprising me. So um, I want to go with a draw as well, uh, but I think I'm just going to take Brighton straight up. I, I feel like I'm going to get boned any way I take. I, I make a pick here, just because it could truly go anyway. Um, but I'm going to take Brighton. I think they're going to be, they're going to have some blood in their mouth. So they're going to be hungry for this one. Yeah. Zach's going to go with Fulham. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, up next, Everton versus Leeds. Leeds with their new manager in now. Everton with their new manager in. Uh, this is another true who could say. I, I don't know. I would take the under if I had to make a pick, but we got to pick a team. So I'll go with a draw. I can see this one being maybe 1-1 or nil nil. Uh, Everton are going to be lucky to squeak any goals out of anything uh, with Dyche at the helm just because of the formation they play. And then Leeds on the other side, scoring goals for sure with Nyonto, but they're going to have a tough time breaking them down. So I will take a draw. I think this one's going to be ugly. Zach and I are going to back Leeds here. I think this is the second biggest game of the weekend behind the Arsenal City game uh, due to the relegation implications. Um, it's for me, it's going to be whoever wins the midfield on the day. And we just talked about the trio for Everton being horses in there. And we know Adams and McKinney are absolute dogs. So it's going to be one of those things who blinks first. And, um, those guys are going to absolutely kill each other, but I think I'm going to back leads for the quick counter, uh, the agility they have on the wings going forward. I think Nanto can absolutely eat up on Coleman who's long overdue, long past his stay in the league for maybe a year or two. So for that reason, I'm going to back Leeds. All right, cool. Uh, Chelsea versus Southampton up next. Who do you got here? Dead last in the league. We we have three draws. Jesse Marsh, though. Jesse. (laughs) New manager bounce. Everything is in my head. We lost to them earlier in the year, by the way, 2-1, I think. We have to win this game. Um, it's We cannot fall any more behind the teams above us because we, we're losing time. We have the two Champions League legs in between. It's This is a must-win game. It may be a rotated team after the Dortmund game tomorrow. So I, I, we, I have to take Chelsea. If we don't win, I'm going to be very, very upset. All right, I'm going to take Chelsea too. I just, I don't think there's any way they lose to Southampton. And if I wake up, or well, I'll be at work actually by this time. But if I flip the TV on and they're fucking down to Southampton, I'm going to lose my shit. So I'll just, we'll t- I'll take Chelsea just so that if they do lose, I, I can get even more mad about it. Yeah, um, so what's Zach's that? taking Chelsea as well. Okay. Up next, we have Nottingham Forest versus Manchester City. Don't think we need to go into this one much. I'll take City, even on short rest. Yeah, City as well. They're going back-to-back road games here, which could be a little tiring on their legs. And we know Pep made that comment earlier about like the four-hour trip uh, earlier in the week with how they didn't perform as well. But um, I think Forest at home could do something here. We've seen them do it against Chelsea and... 
Uh, they got that big win over Leeds as well. Uh, obviously, City's a different beast, but I definitely think this game could get off to a weird start, but uh, Zach and I are going with City too. Okay, cool. Um, and then we have a few more games here. Uh, Newcastle versus Liverpool. This one's tough. This is going to be a really tough match. Who do you have here? I'm going with a draw. Uh, I know Newcastle have been struggling up front, and Liverpool's defense hasn't been the best. We may see Van Dyke back this game in some sort of capacity. Um, but I just think with the lack of firepower for Newcastle, it's going to be a tight draw. Zach's going to go with Liverpool. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Liverpool as well. Just something is telling me that they're going to get this one. Uh, I We don't know the capacity to which Virgil van Dijk will be back. It's possible that he plays a half and then subbed out, but we don't see that with defenders all that much. So I'm imagining if he's 75%, then he'll play and he'll probably play the full 90. Uh, they're going to need him to do that. But I just think Newcastle's lack of goal scoring has been very concerning and Liverpool's lack of goal scoring is kind of concerning too. But after a performance last week where they just crossed the ball in and used their pace, I think maybe they carry some of that into this one. Uh, it's not going to be high scoring, but I do think they could probably eke one out. If they can get a goal, they can sit back and they're not going to have to worry about too much uh, just because of Newcastle and their incompetency going forward. So I will take Liverpool as well. Uh, and then on to our two last games. We have Manchester United versus Leicester City and Tottenham versus West Ham. Uh, for United versus Leicester City, I will be taking United. Leicester caught lightning in a bottle last week with a 4-1 win over Spurs. Don't see that happening again this week, despite the fact that Kalechi Iannaccio is officially back. I've declared it. Uh, I'll take United. I think they win this one in a rout. Yeah, Zach and I are taking United as well. I think it'll be a little closer than you think. I think Iannaccio definitely bags here, potentially, but... Yeah, I, I'm 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 like right there in the edge of giving Leicester a point here, but I, I think United at home's a little bit tough of an ask. Yeah. Um, okay, and then we have Tottenham versus West Ham up next. Uh who do you have on that one? Zach's gonna go with Spurs, and I didn't realize Benton Core is out for the whole year. And we've seen during the time he was out already. They didn't have the most success, so I'm going to take West Ham here outright. I think their midfield with Ben Corral is much better, and we've seen they they they're still like a good team, and for the area they're they're at right now, they don't deserve to be down there. And I think playing a Spurs team that's in the form they are, or maybe I should be saying with the situation they're in with their the player composition with the players that left and the way they did and now certain players out, the, the coach has been out. I think that's a little bit too much, and I think this is an opportunity for Moyes to jump on and get three points. All right, fair enough. Uh, I will take a draw in this one. I just don't I don't feel confident betting on Tottenham to do anything right now. They just lost 1-0 to AC Milan, by the way, um, yeah. in the Champions League. I, I'll be watching that game later. I'll have to watch it back. Uh, I've heard Pepe Matar-Sar had a good match, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a draw on this one. I just don't know. West Ham got a nice draw last week against Chelsea. I think it's possible that they get another one here against Tottenham. I'm just not confident enough to take Spurs right now at this current juncture, but hopefully they can get a result because they're 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 struggling right now for form. 
Okay, um, that is everything. We will be back, I suppose, next week, normal time, right? Yeah, we don't have any midweek games due to Champions League, and uh, the next one's next Friday. So, yeah, it should be like a normal Wednesday, Thursday thing. Yeah, all right, cool. Uh, well, guys, thank you for listening. Make sure you check us out on social media at Post20Pod on Twitter and Instagram. The final episode of the NFL show for the season will be up probably Thursday, if I had to guess. I think tomorrow I'm just going to take a day off. So, um, Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Make sure you check us out on social media, Post20Pod, Twitter, Instagram. You can find all past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And we'll talk to you next week.